0: This is the Happy Are You Poor podcast, discussing topics related to radical Christian community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz. My guest today is Dr. Terrence Wright. He is an Associate Professor of Philosophy at the St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, and the author of Dorothy Day, An Introduction to Her Life and Thought, which is available from Ignatius Press. We're so glad to have you join us. How are you doing, Terry?
1: Good, Malcolm. Good morning. It's glad to be here.
0: For our listeners who might not know who Dorothy Day is, could you outline the important points of her life and tell us how you came to write a book about her?
1: Well, yeah, Dorothy Day um, founded was the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement in the United States. Uh, she was born in 1897 and died in 1980, and um, she is... Uh, on her, she, the process of canonization is underway for her, for the Catholic Church. She is uh, what's considered the first step, which is a servant of God. Um, she um, really you know, defines, uh, in a certain sense, uh, Catholic social teaching uh, in the 20th century, I mean really uh, brought it to, um, I think, to a lot of people's attention. Um, she operated um, what were called houses of hospitality to serve the poor. And uh, she was also a leader in um, the pacifist movement in the in the 20th century. So uh, she's she's had a large impact on uh, on Catholic thinking and particularly Catholic social teaching. Um, I got interested in her uh, when I was in college, uh, which was uh, 40 years ago. And um, I was kind of you know a lot of a lot of college students are sort of idealistic, and uh, you know was hoping was looking for sort of a connection between that those ideals and um, the teachings of the church, questions about social justice. And one of my professors recommended I start reading the Catholic Worker newspaper, which was the campus ministry gave it out for free. So I started reading the Catholic Worker when I was in college and um, always was interested in Day. And then when I started teaching, um, I uh, started teaching uh, Day's writings. And that's when I really got interested in her and really got into the details of uh, her life and and sort of what shaped uh, what the what the philosophies were and thought, thinkings were that were shaping her writings.
0: Yeah, I know in, in the introduction to your book, you mentioned that uh, when Pope Francis was here in the United States, he singled out four Americans in a speech he made, and one of the four was Dorothy Day. And that's interesting because she's not that well-known as far as Americans go. Why do you think Pope Francis uh, sing, singled her out like that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting speech. If you go back to it, he he identifies. He talks about four Americans, and two of them are quite well known: Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King. But the other two are fairly obscure: Dorothy Day and and, um, Thomas Merton. And uh, and he really focuses on Day because he he talks about her commitment to the gospel and how she brought that commitment to her service to the poor, and really seeing you know that um, addressing the questions of of economic justice. Are really important in the United States. You know, I mean, that's a that's a concern of of Pope Francis, and he really is concerned about how uh, developed nations um, respond to that. And so she was, uh, she he sort of saw her as a model of that sort of combination of gospel commitment with social action.
0: Yes, he certainly is interested in that aspect, and I know that um, for those who do know Dorothy Day, especially among Catholics, she can be considered kind of a controversial figure. I know in your book you mentioned a funny story about how you were teaching uh, some of her writings at the seminary, and when your seminarians went home for their uh, break, one of them told his the pastor at the parish he was working at that uh, he was reading Day, and the pastor said, I'm shocked they would let you read such a dissenting uh, Catholic. And then he another seminarian told his pastor he was working with the same thing, and he was like, wow, I'm, I'm surprised they'd let you read such a dissenting Catholic. Uh, that's great that they're so, you know— free floating at the seminary. So uh, what do you think? Is is Dorothy Day a dissenting Catholic or is she a loyal, faithful Catholic?
1: Um, part of the project of my book is to really make the argument that she is not a dissenting Catholic, um, that that's sort of a misunderstanding on both sides of the, of the divide, um, and that she really is a very faithful daughter of the church. Um, there may be one issue, and that would be her pacifism. Maybe we can talk about that later. But if you look at um, her writings from the time that she converted to, you know, Catholicism, she entered the church when she was in her late twenties. Um, she is a very faithful Catholic on on all the the issues. I mean, now she was when she was critical of the church, which was not uncommon. It was not because she disagreed with the teachings of the church. It was that she thought the church was not doing a good enough job living up to those teachings. And so uh, she was not dissenting from the teachings at all. So I really argue that she is, it's a misunderstanding to see her as a dissenting Catholic. Um, and, and it's funny, whenever I talk about her, um, I always have people raising up that issue. Um, it's just, a, I think, a misconception about her.
0: Yeah, I think it is. that does seem to be like whenever, whenever she comes up uh, immediately, you know, the divisions get going. And it's interesting that right now, especially, there's so much dissent from church teaching on, on both sides of the spectrum. And people on each end of the spectrum don't uh, seem to uh, recognize that. Dorothy Day, I think, can help us to realize that, to realize those two different kinds of dissent that are around and realize how to steer around them.
1: Yeah, I think she's. I mean, I think that's what it's partly attracts me to her as a model is the fact that she really shows the coherence of the teachings on social justice with the, the how that is coherent with the teachings on uh, the sanctity of human life and and marriage and things like that. So the teachings that are often divide people, um, she really shows how they are. Shows their coherence because they are coherent. I had the teachings of the church um are you know are not an incoherent jumble.
0: One thing I like that you brought out is that, you know she did though she wasn't a dissenting Catholic, she did sometimes criticize church leaders uh, mm-hmm. quite forcefully. And what struck me in the book is that when she did that, as you pointed out, she was criticizing their failure to live up to their teachings because, we're guaranteed that the church won't fall into error, but we're not guaranteed that the church will live out its mission properly. I know that in some circles right now, it's um, popular to attack uh, the Pope. And the, the people who do that usually bring up St. Paul attacking St. Peter. And I think what's often missed in that story is that Peter Paul uh, really supported Peter's teaching that the Jews and Gentiles were the same, and what he was attacking Peter for was his failure to carry out his own teaching, his right. hypocrisy and not living out his teaching. So that if that example is being used to legitimatize dissent from Pope Francis's teaching, that's not a good use of that example.
1: Right. No, I think that's a that's a good example of how, you know, you're right. I mean, the church, um, you know, we're the church is made up of sinners and we're all going to fall short In different ways and and they knew that true knew that was true of herself um but the idea that you know we can we can point to failures of uh you know someone not living up to the teachings which is different than criticizing the teachings i mean in day's case it was often things like was the church paying a just wage to workers and things like that or or was it too closely aligned with the Uh, military-industrial complex and things like that. And so she was was always very concerned with those sort of issues.
0: One thing you brought up is the fact that Dorothy Day was staunchly pro-life, which might, you know, she's got some fans on what you could call the (laughs) left, and that tends to surprise them when they find out about her pro-life stance. Could you talk a little more about how she saw her pro-life witness?
1: Yeah, well, you know, she, um, day when she was a, a young woman, um, was living with a man and became pregnant, and the the man forced her to get an abortion. This was back in the 1920s, before abortion was legal, obviously, forced her to get an abortion, and then abandoned her. That was a, a she was devastated by that, and uh, she actually attempted suicide. Um, and then later, a few years later, she, um, is again. Living in a common law marriage with another man, gets pregnant again, and really saw that uh, her pregnancy is a sign of of God's mercy that he, you know, that she was able to get pregnant again because she's afraid she was afraid that the abortion had left her unable to do that, and so she uh, was not going to abort this child even though the father didn't didn't want it. Uh, she carried the child to to term, um, and then she decided that she wanted the child to be baptized, and so um, baptized Catholic. And it was in the process of getting her daughter uh, baptized Catholic that she, she began to see the necessity of her own um, conversion, her own entering of the church. And so uh, she was very strongly saw the, the, the sin of abortion and the difficulty that it brought to women. And so she was very, um, very pro-life in that way, but also her pacifist view was very much grounded in um, a respect for human life and so yeah she was very concerned when certain people would be say opposed to the war but uh, with the war in vietnam for example but not opposed to abortion we're okay with abortion because for her violence is violence against the unborn is violence you know it's not um it's not different because you're doing it against the unborn and so she was she saw it as a whole with her pacifism and uh and and her sort of overall respect for the dignity of human persons.
0: Yeah, the term that's come to be used is the um, seamless garment or the consistent ethic of life. And I think Mm -hmm. Dorothy Day is a very um, good example of someone who holds that consistent position that human life is sacred no matter where it is and no matter under what circumstances.
1: Right, absolutely. And so, you know, that also goes with the um you know recognizing the inherent dignity of the poor um you know all of that is a is a piece for her
0: in your book you mentioned that uh after Dave became catholic she was trying to chart her future she wasn't she she had a hard time seeing how her interest in helping the poor and helping workers could fit into the church she actually came into the church unsure of what the church's stance and that was but realizing that she had to enter the church nonetheless and then in the book, you talked about how she then met Peter Marin. Can you tell us a little bit about Peter Marin and about his influence on Dorothy Day's uh, thinking?
1: Yeah, um, one of the most, I think, wonderful stories in Dorothy Day's life is, as you said, she was sort of struggling to find out how she could um, apply her Catholic faith to her social concerns and before her conversion she was very much in line with um with she was sort of a fellow traveler with socialists and communists who really seemed to have an agenda and and an idea of what to do and when she uh when she entered the church she she saw that that was no longer a possibility but she wasn't sure what to do and she had a few years and she was a single mother she was trying to support herself and her child um she was doing it through Freelance writing. She actually worked as a screenwriter in Hollywood very briefly, but she um, she is given the task to cover a story in 1932 of the um, of a hunger uh, of a hunger march in Washington D.C. And while she's there, it's actually on the feast of the Immaculate Conception. She goes to the shrine of the Immaculate Conception in in Washington D.C. and she prays for some sort of direction. And when she gets back to New York City where she was living, uh, waiting for her was Peter Marin. And um, Peter Marin was about 20 years older than Day. He was a a Frenchman who uh, had come to Canada and then to the United States. He had been educated by the Christian brothers. And he he really had a project that he wanted to to take up, which had um, four different points to it. One was uh, the publishing of a newspaper, uh, to spread Catholic social teaching the other was ho- houses of hospitality where we could uh, where people could serve the poor um, the other was uh, what he called roundtable discussions um, where people could learn ideas and, and share them and then the other were um, he called agronomic universities uh farms where people could come and work uh to learn farming uh to learn manual labor but also to raise food for the uh the houses of hospitality so he was looking for someone to help him with this project and people had mentioned dorothy day to him and day uh, because she was a journalist and um and she had worked on newspapers and so he sort of saw her as a as the person who could help him with that aspect so he um he tracks her down and and Really changes her life. I mean, um, she she really didn't know that. I mean, he was well versed in the teachings, the social teachings of the Catholic Church, uh, documents like Rerum Novarum and uh, Quadrigissimo Anno, and he um, and he um, yeah, really. Brought those to her attention, taught her about those, and so they um, they started the project, and they started with a, on May first, nineteen thirty-three, the first edition of the Catholic Worker newspaper. That was followed by Houses of Hospitality, and so Day and, and Marin worked together um, for oh, over over twenty years. He died in the late forties. Uh, but um, they really are the co-founders of the Catholic Worker, and Day said there wouldn't have been a Catholic Worker if there hadn't been Peter Marin. I and mean, he was one who really had the initial vision.
0: What principles uh, from you know you mentioned that that Maran brought introduced Day to the social teaching of the Church. What well, principles in that social teaching were especially formative for their project and their vision?
1: Well, um, boy, I'll, I mean, a certain, if you think that there are four basic pillars of Catholic social teaching. Um, the first being the inherent uh, value and dignity of every human person. Uh, the second being the common good. Um, the third being subsidiarity, which is the idea that, um, you know, decisions should be made by the people who are on the on a small scale, by the people who are being impacted by those decisions. And the fourth being solidarity, that all people are um, share and we are all sort of united in a common project so all of those really are at work in what Day is up to I mean particularly the dignity of the human person I mean she really sees her commitment to the poor is grounded in that but also the importance of the common good uh, recognizing that the common good is not just the sum of individual goods but is really trying to promote a good where all persons can flourish providing that opportunity and you know and and she was very much also into the notion of subsidiarity where this was done on a small scale Um, you know this was not um, this wasn't the government's job or the uh, or big institution's job this was the job of every every person we have a personal responsibility to the other it's not that the you know the poor don't belong to the to the government and it's not the government's job to take care of them it's our job it has to be on a on a human scale
0: uh, yeah, that's uh, thanks for explaining that. Um, what were there any saints or other Catholic figures who really inspired uh, Dave's witness?
1: Well, um, in my book, I talk about three. I mean, Dave was very um, often looked to the saints for inspiration and guidance, and um, and read a lot of them and, and about them. Um, the three I talk about in um, in my book are uh, Saint Benedict. She was very influenced by Benedict and actually became a Benedictine oblate um, and really took away from Benedict uh, the importance of hospitality, of welcoming the stranger, uh, but also the importance of the relationship between prayer and work that you really couldn't separate the two. And, and she, she did not think that she could do her own work. I mean, she went to Mass every morning and received the sacrament every morning just in order to give her the, uh, the strength and the, and, the, and, the, and the wisdom to do the work for that day. Uh, so she was very influenced by that relationship between prayer and work. Um, the other uh, saint I talk about is St. Francis of Assisi, um, a, an influence clearly on her pacifism um, and also on her um, idea of uh, voluntary poverty. And um, and then uh, the third is St. Therese of Lisieux, who um, she um, she initially, when she first came in contact with her, um, you know, didn't find her that inspiring. Thought that she was just sort of overly pious, but really came to see the approach of the little way of doing the small things, the small everyday things with great love. Really was, um, you know, really was the way to to serve people the, in the in the most concrete way. And so I think uh, Saint Therese really influenced how Day embraced um, the. Uh, the works of mercy.
0: Yeah. I I really like the importance that you put on St. Francis being a radical and, and, uh, you know, not just like a a birdbath or garden gnome figure, you know, he was a lot more than that. His emphasis on poverty and really on identifying with the poor can kind of get left out sometimes, I think.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I see, um, I mean, that's that line about the, uh, the birdbath images. Um, there was a, a letter that uh Pius XI the 11th published on on Francis and yeah it's saying you know he didn't understand why this saint who you know, basically transformed europe um is now pictured as a friend of rabbits and foxes <laughs> you know i mean that's that sort of the, uh, you know that sort of really loses the radicalness and the importance of uh, saint francis
0: yeah it just it just makes him too uh too non-threatening, I guess. Exactly, exactly, and and, uh,
1: and so you yeah, know we don't we don't we don't feel challenged by him. Yeah, we don't uh,
0: we don't feel challenged by that kind of radical poverty of, of life that he witnessed to.
1: Right, right, and the sort of um, complete um, giving of a self that he embodied. Yeah,
0: you know that about part about the complete giving of self makes me think about Trez's little way, that we don't have very much to give either to God or those around us, but it's those little things done with love that are important. And that also connects to St. Benedict's message about the importance of work, the mundane, ordinary kind of things of daily life. I know Dorothy Day talked about how idealistic young people would come and join the Catholic worker and they wanted to help the poor and change the world, but they didn't want to chop the vegetables for the soup line. And that was a problem, because if the vegetables didn't get chopped, even with all the high thoughts, nobody was going to get fed. At this point, we had an accident with our recording software so that we lost about 15 minutes of audio. So I'm just going to quickly talk through what we missed so that we can go back to the conversation with Terry here. Dorothy Day was suspicious of welfare, and we discussed why that might be. Part of the reason is that Dorothy Day thought that the corporal and spiritual works of mercy couldn't be disconnected from one another. On the one hand, you could give uh, material goods to someone, but not have any love for them, and that would actually be could actually be demeaning to the person. As Dorothy Day said, the love we have for the poor will make them forgive us the bread we give them. But on the other hand, of course, we can think, oh, we love the poor, we pray for them, but not actually feed them. And as St. James says, that's useless. One can't say to a brother or sister in need, uh, go in peace, be warmed and fed. That is not the Christian way. So the two, the spiritual and the corporal works of mercy, always need to be together. In the Christian life, and then we started talking about Dorothy Day's pacifism. There's one area where she does seem to dissent from church teaching, and that is that she was a strict pacifist. Even during World War II, she opposed uh, joining the war, and in that, she seems in any way, in, in a way, to be dissenting from. Catholic teaching on the just war theory. Just war theory holds that war is always an evil, but that it's sometimes allowed to prevent greater evils. And just war theory gives a set of criteria that have to be met before participating in a war is just. Among other things, the, the evil to be remedied has to be greater than the evils that will be inflicted by the war. There has to be Uh, the possibility of success, that the war will actually solve the problem it's aimed at, and that war has to be carried out justly, it has to be carried out by the proper authorities. Uh, The acts of war cannot be aimed at civilians, and everything else must have been tried, every other resort must have been tried before one has recourse to war under the just war theory. But Dorothy Day was a strict pacifist. So then we can go back to our recorded conversation where we start to discuss how we should understand this position of hers. So with her with her pacifism. So like you you mentioned, uh, just war pacifism, and I I think I find that a very appealing position. That you know, like there can be a just war, but that especially in the modern world, that's not going to likely hold, because one of the principles is that. Um, the good to be gained by war has to outweigh the obvious evils that are always going to accompany war, and that with modern warfare, the evils are so great that it's very unlikely. Why do you think she thought that that position was um, insufficient?
1: Well, I think, um, that's a good question. I think that, you know, because just war theory, those who kind of call themselves just war pacifists, want to say, yes, I accept the principles that Sometimes uh, you have to use force in order to protect the 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 weak or something like that, or to restore justice. But um, but the modern warfare just means that there you can't avoid killing non-combatants who are innocent people. And uh, if you're going to kill the innocent, then you've you've crossed the line, right? That 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 modern warfare makes that uh, makes just war impossible, right? Um, I think Day was actually stronger than that. That she thought that. For two reasons. One, that she really saw her pacifism in some sense as um, a counsel of perfection, right? That you're trying to be perfect as, 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 your, as, as your Lord is perfect, um, and that uh, took seriously the idea that one would turn the other cheek, mm-hmm. and that violence is not an appropriate response, and that she also came to see it as tied to the teachings on um, the uh, the mystical body of Christ, that we are all members of the mystical body members or potential members of the mystical body of Christ and therefore to kill another person is to in fact you know attack the mystical body and so um, it really was not it was never an appropriate response um, even if you could do it without um, harming the innocent or you know producing any of the collateral damage that uh, that goes with uh, modern warfare so I think she 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 kind of moved beyond um, uh, just war pacifism to uh, a more absolute pacifism
0: yeah so what C- could that be seen as sort of like I know like uh, take the, take an example of the higher calling to vow to celibacy in the church could her absolute pacifism be sort of seen as a higher calling that 's not in conflict with just war theory but is sort of a a sign of the higher reality of the kingdom that can inform uh, those of us who maybe are not called to practice it uh, fully?
1: Um, I think there's definitely some relationship to it. As I said, one of the ways that she understood pacifism was in terms of a council of perfection, which is, you know, that um, those who can actually go beyond what is required by the law um, can are called to something uh, greater. I think that was part of it, but I, I, I think it also comes back to... Um, that yeah, you know, and and she and she recognized that there may be people who really saw um, that their intention really was to produce peace and justice, and and recognized that in good conscience they they thought that they the, the use of force was necessary, um, and so she she recognizes that that's a position someone um, could consistently hold, but that she thought that in her own understanding of the moral law, um, that force against another human person is never um, is is, violence is never is never going to be justified just because of again turning back into the um, the understanding of the mystical body you know so um, I I think that you know I think her pacifism is without a doubt the most in my opinion uh, the most difficult question around thinking through day and it's one that I still kind of go back and forth on myself think about myself. (laughs)
0: I know I was reading uh, the biography, I guess you'd call it, of uh, autobiography of the founders of the Houston Catholic Worker House, uh-huh. and he was talking about how uh, one one day uh, this guy with the machete suddenly appeared in the living room of the Catholic Worker, and like, okay, they're all they're all pacifists, so what do you do now with there's suddenly a guy there with a machete yelling at you? And um, they actually managed to, you know, defuse the situation without hurting anybody, and Got the guy to put his machete down, and actually he just needed mental help, and and so you know nobody nobody got killed, uh, the police weren't called, but that's obviously like <clears throat> if you told people like that's what the Christian has to do, uh, most people would disagree, and I don't think I would want to uh, support that kind of extreme you know pacifism that the Catholic yeah. Worker does support. Um, what can like what can we learn from that very difficult stance? Even if we're not don't feel called to embrace that. Uh, hard full pacifism what what can we learn in the area of war and peace
1: well I think um, gosh that's a, that's a tough question I don't know if I'm if I've got the ready answer on that one um, I mean I think you know we have to if we're really going to live a life that recognizes the sanctity of every human life then we really have to look for approaches and Policies that recognize that, and I think sometimes we're just can be way too quick to say you know kill them all and let God sort it out you know just drop the bomb and figure out what's going to happen, and um, and so sort of you know not recognizing this the the violence as a first resort, uh, force as a first resort is almost always a bad idea. <laughs> And that, you know, we need to kind of be
0: thinking past that. It, it's tough because, I mean, like, some things in the gospel and some things in the lives of the saints almost seem to support a full-out pacifist, nonviolent stance. And, and yet that seems so backwards to, you know, ordinary it's human just, life.
1: They're just so, um, so unpractical, you know, that, I mean, you know, it's hard to... Uh, Turn the other cheek when the other guy has a machete. I, I, I see that, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, what... Um, if you were going to recommend something that Dorsey Day wrote to give people a good introduction to her body of writings, uh, what would you recommend? Um, um, if... You know her classic work is *The Long Loneliness*, um, and and you know
1: that's I I wouldn't yeah, you know, and if people want to take that up, but the book that I really like a lot is her first of her first attempt at an autobiography, which was called *From Union Square to Rome*. You know Union Square was the uh, the place in New York City where they you know there would always be the protests by the communists and socialists and um and she was part of that and then she moved to uh to rome and it's a really it's written as a letter sort of to her brother who was a communist her brother john and explaining her conversion explaining uh what she uh why she entered the catholic church and what the catholic church has to say on different social issues it has a beautiful reflection on the real presence um and so i i like that book a lot so i i sort of I think you know, so it's called "From Union Square to Rome," and it's smaller than, shorter than "Long Loneliness." It's um, it's it's written closer to the time of her, um, of her entering the church and founding the Catholic Worker. So it has a more of an immediacy in that sense. Um, I like it a lot. There's also a collection of her writings that's um, published uh, by, I think, uh, Orbis Books called uh, Just Like the Selected Writings of Dorothy Day, which just kind of organizes them, draws from a lot of her different writings, her newspaper articles, her her other books, um, and just kind of organizes them very coherently if people just are looking for what she thinks on different topics. Um, That's a nice place to start also.
0: What would be, uh, since we're getting close to wrapping up here, what would be a good practical takeaway for our listeners? What could they if they're inspired by dorothy day's uh, witness of service and voluntary poverty and all the rest what could they do in their lives what what are some practical things they could try to do
1: um well i think part of it is is you know just sort of recognizing the other as um as you know as having value i mean it's it's very easy to kind of pass people on the street um and not and not think of that um, and I just think that sort of immediacy, um, I think the uh, simplicity of life, um, but also in, in just sort of the, just, you know, the, the going back to um, St. Therese of Lisieux, the, the, uh, the importance of the little way. You know, just being very intentional in how I'm dealing with people and how I'm uh, living my life and um, and recognizing the importance of those small acts of love. And um, and you know, and they recognize that you know not everybody is cut out to go live in a Catholic worker house, um, particularly if you're married and have a family. That that's not that's maybe the 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 option for you. But just sort of bringing that awareness of the other into um, the choices that I make, how I interact with people, uh, the choices that I make, you know, the the things that I buy. Am I really thinking is you know is this being made by somebody who's being exploited? And then should I really be, you know, so there's a whole way of just thinking very intentionally about my life that really thinks about what is the impact of this choice on other people. I mean she was she was very concerned about things like the injustice of you know the exploitation of the worker and 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 you know that I if I can't own this without exploiting somebody else, then I shouldn't own this. right? So I think we could all be much more deliberate in how we think about those types of choices that we make.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Terry. It was great having you.
1: Thank you. A lot of good questions. Thank you very much.